bro, we gave them hash browns and just instantly communism fell. Yeah. They they, they heard about free refills and they were <laughs> the first they didn't believe it, but then when they found out They were freaked out because, you know, when you get a big breakfast, if you're really into like syrup like I am, what you do is you just you fill that container with syrup and then you close it and you just shake it around. And you just get syrup on everything, you know. They well, you know that, that you know was the... just a little bit ridiculous, but they didn't even... That is the fattest, yet the most genius thing I've ever heard. I mean, you're going to put syrup on everything, right? Like, you don't you don't want syrup on your eggs, but it gets on there, and you're kind yeah. of okay with it, right? So you might as well syrup. We, we know this. Welcome back to the Trilateral Troika. This is Steve, along with the other Steve. I can place bets in Florida again. Hey. And Ryan. Honestly, the funniest thing that Dennis Rodman could have done would be like a tomahawk slam on Kim, J- Kim Jong-il when he went over to Korea. Kim Jong, <laughs> Kim Jong just stands up. Just I liked it. He does like the Vince Carter, put him on a poster, just nuts dragging his forehead, just tomahawk <laughs> slamming him, breaking the glass in the backboard. <laughs> oh, I can't stand Vince Carter. Kim, uh... It would have been, uh... Sorry, or Shaquille O'Neal. Fucking pick a name. <laughs> I can't stand Vince Carter, buddy. I'm sorry. It'd be Kim Jong-il. But, uh... <laughs> he would, uh... He would just, he'd just stand up and give the thumbs up. Nah, he can't be Kim Jong-il. Kim Jong-il beat the 1995-96 Chicago Bulls by himself. Isn't he also the one that did 72 holes of golf, but scored, like, a 60? On like yeah. seventy-two holes, uh, yeah. he he scored. Uh, a, the the story is that he scored eighteen. He got a perfect uh, game of golf, and then he quit playing. Just incredible! I am in awe by his skill level. Uh, Kim got shit on him. Uh, Kim Jong Un, though, I don't know if he could. I don't know if he could. You know, he doesn't look like he could take it to the hole and dominate. So I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't, take it I don't, to like the donut hole, maybe. Yeah, he's you know? he's probably he's probably really good at like layups. He's like a. He's like a very good like fundamentals guy. He's very good. Yeah, at, he's, he's very good at pile ups. Like he's they, they call him they, they call him the Steph Curry of the Korean Peninsula. And he's I'm very not good at. Up. They call him Steph Curry because it's actually Steph Curry. They call him because <laughs> he'd be he'd be stuffing that curry down. And speaking of another world leader he with sinks food curry, problems, <laughs> just like Steph Curry sinks shots. It is not fat. It is glandular. <laughs> you are too weak. I'm strong and healthy. Shows how great Soviet system is. I need a place is. to store my strength. It's inside my jowls. Well, Soviet but system I, is so I am great big, that all the leaders are fat and taken care of and all the people are starving. That's an amazing I am system. big, fat dynamo. Um, <laughs> fat dynamo. So, so we are returning to talking about our boy, Nikita Khrushchev. Our boy? Art way. Um, it's not my so way. Yeah, not yet. Anyway, I need to know what happens in part two before I make that choice. So fuck I found out that Nikita Khrushchev is five three. So he now is officially a manlet. Hey, no, hey, I, hey! No, at the time hey. five three was like six three. You know? No, I'm just no. I'm just joking. <laughs> no. I mean. I'm sure that like being five three is probably like the average height for someone born during his time period in the Russian Empire. Maybe because yeah, he had no nutrition; he was starving. So far. He, I think what happened was he he was and vodka stunts your growth. Well, he was like Cotton Hill; he was about that height, you know. Cotton Hill had his knees shot off in the war, 
fighting commies, res- yeah. put some respect on his name on this Veterans Day past weekend. <laughs> yeah, it's not Veterans Day anymore. Well, you know, uh, Queen Victoria, because recently there was that picture that got posted of, like, one of her dresses on, like, a mannequin. Yeah. And, like, a, a guy standing next to it. And she was she was about five foot tall. And, like, the, uh, the Meiji Emperor, I've seen his clothes, and he looked about... Uh, like like five foot. Yeah, five but foot Japanese one. people. I mean, they're always short. They're not like that short, though. Let's see what the average. Uh, I think was. overall, Japan's Japan's pretty short. Yeah, but like when I went there, it wasn't like I wasn't like ah, oh, these are my people. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, just, but just I, I walk. Mean, people talk about that. Like if you're like six foot two, if you're over six feet. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. You- Definitely is it is a country that is not designed for people who are who are uh, higher higher than the normal height. Yeah. Um, like Ryan, how tall are you? Like six two? Uh, exactly six two. Yeah. So, so you, the average height of you a would man tower in over the entire Japanese diet. You would tower over them. <laughs> he's a, you'd he's walk a six in two the, regular wrestling six seven. Yeah, you would walk in <laughs> to like the Japanese government uh, function and just be like, "I'm here," and they'd be like, "Oh shit, I guess he's in charge now." So, Someone, a guy, a guy like a guy like rushes you, and you just like grab him like Zod and just throw him against the wall. Even better, you grab him by the top of his head, and he just keeps running. Let me go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, oh, so man. the average height of a man in 1970 was 178.7 centimeters. And if we put that into freedom units, that is 5'8". Yeah, that sounds about right. 5'8". I mean, it was 5'3". He was also, well, you're only at 1970. He was born in, in the 18, the late 1800s. All right, then let's just look at the average height of a man in 1900. 5'7". Uh, it, it it doesn't change very much, honestly. Like the the height only went up a couple centimeters. You 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 know you you tear down this man because of his height, <laughs> but despite that, he was one of the most powerful men in the world. Yeah. Well, I gotta, I, I gotta I gotta I gotta shit on him now because he's dead. I can't talk shit about he him. Has, he's alive. <laughs> he has a he had a wife and children. So or he had multiple wives and children. So he definitely proved the. Uh, the the four yeah. chan crowd wrong, you know. Oh, spoiler he was, alert! He was not I just, saw... just a communist. He was a sex having communist. <laughs> Listen, spoiler alert! I just saw his death date, and we're gonna have some discussions later on about this. What did he know? Yeah, he died of COVID. And uh, when did he know it? No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> he had he had information about a very young Hillary Rodham. <laughs> <laughs> He apparently had information about a very young George Bush looking at his uh dun 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 looking at his death date. I think George Bush was head of the CIA for a while. Yeah. All right, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um. So after the war, because remember, uh, Khrushchev, you know, he rises up in the party. Um. He's um. He sort of rises up in the ranks. He serves as a commissar during the war, and after the war, he's assigned to. Uh, pretty much rebuilding and integrating uh, what is today the modern borders of Ukraine. Um, Because remember, they took um, Western Ukraine uh, during the war um, from what was then, uh, which was then part of Poland, and integrated into the the Ukrainian uh, Soviet Republic, which was within the USSR, Mm. which which has about, um, at this time, has about the same borders as modern-day Ukraine, except for um, Crimea, 
which they get um, in the 50s. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so from mid uh, December 1949, uh, Khrushchev um, is again called to uh, Moscow, where he serves as the head of the party there um, in the uh, Moscow uh, city and province. Um, a uh, biographer of his, uh, Taubman, um, he uh, he suggests that uh, Stalin uh, most likely chose him for this job. Uh, to balance the growing influence of uh, Georgi uh, Malenkov um, and uh, uh, La- uh, Laventi uh, uh, Beria, who was the head of the uh, NKVD. Uh-oh. The secret police. That's not yes. great. Who was, who was also a, a serial killer. Well, in secret police, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but he would, he would like, drive through the city in his car and, like, pick up, like, young girls and... Mm-hmm. Um, and he would uh, rape them. Again, you said the operative word, police. Like, nothing yeah, but this is was, new. <laughs> None of this, this is new. <laughs> but he would, he would just drive the city. He would, he would choose girls. And then after he was done, he would have them given a, like a, a bouquet of flowers. Um, to, to, I guess, make it seem like it was like a consensual, like, like good visit. Okay. That's as, as they were like let out. Um, but he apparently did kill a number of them. Jesus. And um, because this did come up during like the um, like the the show trial for him that comes mm-hmm. up later on, mm-hmm. where they claim that he like killed all these girls, and people thought it was just you know like them making up false charges, like the uh, the Stalin show trials. Yeah. Um, but but very recently, um, his uh, his home became the embassy, I think, for Nigeria or another African country, and they were having work done on it. And they were digging in the garden, and they did find, like, the skeletons of, like, multiple young girls. Jesus Christ. Um, so, during this time, you know, Stalin, he's getting old. Um, he rarely um, he rarely calls uh, Politburo meetings. Um, so, a lot of the work that's going on in the, the government at this point, at the, at the highest levels, is happening at essentially, like, ragers that Stalin is uh, throwing with his inner circle, which is uh, Beria, uh, Malenkov, Khrushchev, Kaganovich, uh, uh, Clement uh, Voroshilov, uh, Vaya uh, Cheslov uh, Molotov, and uh, Nikolai uh, Bulganin. Um, if you've listened to um, Behind the Bastards, where they talk about like Stalin's crazy like drunken parties, this is pretty much it. These were like the most insane ragers that you ever went to, like house parties. Like, just d- d- turn the dial up to nine thousand. Yeah, like, the, um, real, real Sergio Berlusconi. Yeah, but the, I mean, uh, they were no, no. It was wrecked on vodka. Like they bottles, were, they were pretty sexless from from what we know. Yeah, uh, yeah, they were just getting absolutely just toasted. These are what was, these the, are just, uh, what was the P to V ratio? <laughs> It's all P, no V. Yeah, it was all P, no V. <laughs> oh, man. I, I these mean, dudes like, are the, getting so fucked up. Like he said, he's taking, like, these dudes, no, no. Like, they're days-long benders of just drinking. And Stalin's going like a, like a child, like, happy and clapping his hands and just fucked up. And everybody else is, like, drooling on themselves about to die of alcohol poisoning at the table. Oh the uh, the guards um, secretly drained the uh, the pond that was in the garden. Of Stalin's residence because they were afraid that one of them would would because they were so fucked up that they would just like fall into the to the pond and like drown. Saturdays are for the boys. <laughs> <laughs> this was definitely a Saturdays are for the boys. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, but but during this time, like in uh, illustrated in the in the movie Death of Stalin, uh, Khrushchev is very smart about this. Um, he he like writes down uh, notes about like what things he said that like Stalin found funny and things he didn't like that that didn't really get a laugh. You know, just just sort of like working on his routine of like what to say to him and what jokes he got, what things he didn't have, so that in the future he could uh, he could not make the same mistake before. Yeah, Stalin was like a test audience for his own comedy. <laughs> he was um, like trying to like slide the jokes. If he laughed, all right, cool. Use that again later. If he didn't laugh, just ball that shit up. Nope, we're not and, going uh, right there again. And uh, Khrushchev would also um, take uh, naps uh, early in the day. Um, so that he wouldn't fall asleep during these parties, because he said that if um, he he wrote in his memoirs that if anyone uh, dozed off when they were at the table with Stalin, um, that things went badly for them. Um, and and mainly this was like Stalin would like just play like cruel pranks on people. Like even when uh, Khrushchev was um, up, you know, uh, Stalin sort of treated him like a jester, and he would do things like uh, tap out his pipe on his head and stuff like that. <laughs> Who played Khrushchev in the movie Death of Stalin? It was Steve Buscemi. It was uh, Patton Oswalt, I think. Hmm. Patton Oswalt? (laughs) (laughs) Don Rickles. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, if it was if it was Don Rickles, he would have been shot, or he would have killed something. (laughs) It was Ving Rhames doing a period piece. (laughs) Nah, nah, Joseph. I'm pretty far from fucking okay. <laughs> he see Joseph Stalin's looking at him at the table. He's all fucked up. Hey, Nicola, are you okay? <laughs> no, <Nah>, Joey. <laughs> I'm pretty fucking far from okay. Um, in 1950, uh, Khrushchev would begin a large-scale housing program uh, for the city of Moscow. He'd begin building uh, five and six-story apartment buildings. Where's that um, Moscow? Where's that? Just, like, throughout Moscow. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> um, he began building these uh, five- or six-story uh, apartment buildings that became, like, the common... Like, when you see, like, a like a apartment building from, like, the Soviet Union... When you play um, PUBG but, or Escape from Tarkov... Yeah. This building like, you see, that's the building. When yeah, these, like... internet videos of men swinging things across the open <laughs> From the 18th floor of an apart- apartment complex. Those That's Russian dash cam videos? All yeah. those houses you see flying by in a blur? <laughs> That's the building. That's but these, uh, these, these low-rise apartments that became uh, synonymous with the Soviet Union, um, these were um, sort of the program of Khrushchev. Um, they were all uh, prefabricated, um, uh, uh, made out of uh, reinforced concrete, um, which uh, made them very quick to construct. Because um, remember, um, most of the Soviet Union is still recovering from World War II at this point, because much of the country was destroyed. So they have to uh, rebuild it, and they also want to rebuild it better than it was before. Right. Um, so using these structures... you saying um, they had a, uh, a Build Back Better Act? Is that what you're saying? Yes. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, but uh, using these, uh, th- this design and this um, th- this sort of uh, model structure, they were able to uh, triple the construction rate of Moscow housing from 1946 to 1950. Um, and uh, most of these buildings as well, they lacked uh, elevators or balconies. And they were given the name, 
Khrushchevka uh, um, by the public, um, but because of their uh, their their poor workmanship, they were often called uh, Khrushchova, uh, which combined his name uh, uh, Khrushchev's name with the Russian word Khrushchova, uh, uh, which means a slum. Oh man, I bet he was um, but, real happy about that. Yeah, I'm sure. uh, but in but in uh, 1995. Um, there were uh, around uh, 60, uh, 60 million people um, within the former uh, Soviet Union who still lived in these buildings. Right. Damn. Because remember, too, in the Soviet Union, like you, you get housing for uh, essentially for free. Right. Right. Um, and they're not, not food or heating or water or any of that. We could do, but just it's just rationed. Right. Yeah, you get exactly uh, and it two is, of those uh, little um, two calorie candle bars. warmers. No, you get two well, of those is, candle warmers for your it is, it is better for a lot of the period where Khrushchev is leader. Because, um, like, a lot of what we consider of, like, the, the periods of, like, nothing on the shelves, um, that's mostly happens at sort of, like, the tail end of, like, Brezhnev and during, like, um, the, the succession of leaders that eventually becomes Gorbachev. Hmm. Like, that that is not synonymous with, like, the periods from, like, the the finishing of rebuilding in like the 1950s to like the 1970s, like, like around the seventies is when it begins to fall off. It's not to say that it's like, like everybody has what they has, what they want. Um, but it's definitely a far cry from like the pictures people have of like perestroika and Glasnost era, right? Like Soviet union. So off topic, but kind of on topic, I read something recently where somebody called the United States the richest country in the history of the earth. Um, I have my doubts, but I just wanted to ask people that were smarter than me, because when you think of things like OPEC nations and like the Gulf oil states like Saudi Arabia, how the fuck do you think we have more money than Saudi Arabia? Well, the, the United States has a higher GDP than Saudi Arabia, which is also reflected in their oil wealth. But they also say that we are the richest country in the history of the world. But I'm like, um, have you been to Dubai? I, yeah, but well, Dubai I, is like the size of like uh, what Georgia? Like, I, I think it's with like the, the size of Orlando. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, well, the well, the thing with those countries is is that the the wealth is more apparent because it's all it's only like concentrated in less, a, yeah, one family. Yeah, it's concentrated in literally like one family, and they're just building these giant things because they they pretty much have the country's wealth as like a as like a pocketbook. And while that does is a lot, like relative to the United States, it's not a lot. Because you have to remember, the United States is also a nation of around three hundred and thirty million people, and it's also like the I think we're the fourth largest, depending on which which statistic you go with. If you can if you include Alaska, I, I think we're the third. Largest. I'm not. I, I don't have the uh, the statistic ready for me, but it's still. Um, if if you look at um, like most of the metrics, we are probably the wealthiest um, country in in history. Um, okay. But but again, that I, I don't really have the the numbers. But if you look at like the 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 world economies and the rankings of them, like the United States is definitely the most um, the the richest country in the world. Yeah, and then you take away California, and we're right back to like number like thirty six and a half. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the amount of the amount of carrying that California does for the rest of the United States is just amazing. Yeah, they're like a global economic force in and of themselves. They're the fourth largest economy in the world. 
Yeah. California itself, the state of California, is the fourth largest economy in the world. It's fucking insane. Yeah, yeah Ryan, but try walking down the streets of San Francisco yeah, you as you're, as you're dodging needles and poop, and then people are just stabbing <laughs> you and continually stealing from you. Stabbing you with poop needles. Oh. And when they stab you, you get poop in you. <laughs> are you going to hit me with the needles or the poop? Are the needles that have poop in them, and when they stab you, you get poop in you? That's so terrifying to think about. That's why they do it. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. <laughs> um, Look, if you're going to have a big economy, you're going to run out of places to put the poop and the needles. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you just put it on the sidewalk. <laughs> hey, did you guys hear that? Uh, yeah, it kind of sounded like the sound of uh, two invisible dogs fighting. <laughs> <laughs> my brother like went on a screed by the way he messaged me his last episode we said something about um ipas being easy to brew or something i i think i said it and he just sent me like so much information about it <laughs> he's like you look the you the br- the brewmaster is logged off because he brews and so like you know I mean, no, you can't not, just he's put not shovelfuls of fucking hops brews. into your brew. It does not make it good, Steven. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> How does Moses make his tea? He brews it. Oh, my God. Get the fuck out. The views and opinions of hosts of the show do not reflect <laughs> the greater show. <laughs> um, so as uh, Khrushchev sort of uh, begins getting uh, more positions... Uh, one of his uh, things that he's handling in Moscow is um, is handling agriculture. So they he built, one of his, he built a bunch of shitty houses. Now he's going to build a bunch of shitty farms. <laughs> well, his plan is not to build a bunch of uh, farms, but is to consolidate um, the coal cause within Moscow, um, which would decrease the uh, collective uh, farms in Moscow um, by about 70 percent. Is this during the time of our boy? Uh, was it? What do we call him? Troy film Lysenko? Uh, this is sort of like after uh, Lysenko. Okay. Um, so this resulted in the in the farms being uh, too large for one uh, chairman to manage them effectively because they've taken multiple farms to put them together. Um, he also wanted to implement his agrotown proposal, um, but when he um, but when he gave a lengthy speech on it that was published in Pravda in March of 1951, uh, Stalin disapproved of it. Yeah, because nobody wanted to go to Philly. It's fucking aggro town, you know. <laughs> um, and after, and and after uh, Stalin um, disapproved of it, uh, <clears throat> Pravda quickly published a note stating that uh, Khrushchev's speech was a proposal and not policy. Um, in April, uh, the Politburo disavowed the proposal, um, and Khrushchev feared uh, that Stalin would remove him from office, um, but uh, uh, but instead. Um, Stalin just mocked Khrushchev and then allowed uh, allowed the whole thing to pass over. Jesus Christ. On uh, March 1st, 1953, um, Stalin suffers a massive stroke. There it is. I Got need him. stroking. <laughs> that that um, one little brain clot said, or that one little blood clot said, nope, let's go to the brain. Here we go. <laughs> Take it to the hole. <laughs> um, as... Uh, the terrified doctors that they were able to uh, bring in because Stalin had um, had uh, most of the doctors in Moscow exiled um, due to their Jewish heritage. Um, uh, the ones that they were able to bring in 
Um, they're, they're terrified to actually work on Stalin. And meanwhile, uh, Khrushchev and other members of the, uh, the, the Politburo, um, are, uh, engaged in sort of a discussion as to how they're go um, how they're going to form a new government. Well, guys, listen, like, we could just let him die, is all I'm saying. Like, he's been kind of a prick making us drink. Like, my wife's pissed off at me. I'm not coming home at night because I got to drink bottles of vodka with this fucking clown. Yeah. just let him die. I'm just saying, we could just let him die. Yeah, but then, like, somebody was trying to angle for power would do, like, an autopsy and figure out that they could have kept him around, and then you die because you let him die, you know. Oh, boy, and you're going to die real bad, too. That could be a bad, bad way to go out when they catch that. Yep. But uh, Stalin dies on March 5th, 1953. <clears throat> and nothing of value was lost. Um, Khrushchev no, later... No, we lost the most valuable mustache in the history of stashes. That's true. He we does have M- MVP mustache all time. <laughs> we went yeah. over that. All time. <laughs> Plus, he's got that one photo of him when he was, like, real young that uh, internet uh, people like to, like, sweat over, you know? Oh, are you talking about, that like, trap people photo? that need to go outside and touch grass? He's got, like, a, he's got, like, a scarf around his his neck you know if you think joseph stalin is hot go down to your local circle k and i guarantee you you wait an hour you'll see five guys you that what, look like if him if you think joseph stalin's <laughs> hot then you just walk off any airplane and onto the the waiting car area for arriving flights at mco air <laughs> you will hot. find guys that look like him very quickly it's real hot over there uh khrushchev reflecting on stalin wrote stalin called everyone who didn't agree with him an enemy of the people he said that they wanted to restore the old order, and for this purpose, the enemies of the people had linked up with the forces of reaction internationally. Steve, so As if, if Stalin asks you what, what we're having for dinner tonight, uh, you answering at all? Like, because if you're wrong, <laughs> that's it. You're gonna get killed. You gonna get killed. Um. As a result, several thousand honest people perished. Everyone lived in fear in those days. Everyone expected that at any moment there would be a knock on the door in the middle of the night, and that knock on the door would prove fatal. People not to Stalin's liking were annihilated. Honest party members, irreproachable people, loyal and hard workers for our cause who had gone through the school of revolutionary struggle under Lenin's leadership. This was utter and complete arbitrariness. And now is all this to be forgotten, or forgiven and forgotten? Never. On March 6, 1953, Stalin's death is announced, um, and uh, as um, as was the uh, new leadership of the Soviet Union. Um, Malenkov was named the uh, chairman of the Council of Ministers with uh, Beria, um, who began consolidating his hold over the security agencies within the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kaganovich, Bulganin, um, and the former foreign uh, minister uh, uh, Molotov as the uh, first vice chairman. Molotov, the same Molotov of the of the Ribbentrop fame, <coughs> cocktail. How about of the cocktail fame? Well, yes, of him? the cocktail fame. There we yes. go. Okay. Um, those members of the Presidium of the Central Committee who had been recently promoted by Stalin were demoted. Uh, Khrushchev was relieved of his duties as party head for Moscow uh, to concentrate on unspecified duties uh, for the uh, Central Committee. Uh, the New York Times listed Malenkov and Beria first, and second among the Temen Presidium, and Khrushchev last. Hmm. Oof. Um, uh, despite this, uh, Malenkov resigned from the Secretariat of the Central Committee on March 14th. Uh, this came due to uh, concerns that he was acquiring too much power. Um, the person who benefited most from this was Khrushchev. 
Um, his name appeared atop a revised list of secretaries, indicating that he was now in charge of the party. There is uh, so much paranoia that goes on in Russia during this time that it is almost unfathomable to be like, I think this guy is making... Uh, like, okay, so what is his name? Malachi? Mal- <coughs> Mal- Mal- Malinkov. Mal- yeah, Malinkov, Malachi right? Martin. They, they basically put this guy into power because he did not pull a fucking Hitler and put himself into power, right? So they basically somehow put this guy into power, whether they voted him in or they all just decided like, oh, yes, yes, Malenkov would be great, great man, great man. But then when he's in power, people like, listen, I think he's getting too much power, if you know what I'm saying. We got to, you know, get rid of him. But like you put him in the position to get that much power. Like the, the paranoia is almost like a catch twenty two in and of itself. Well, <clears throat> the thing about it is, is that there are different there are different like hats that they're wearing, and that the consolidation of power comes from that that they had essentially taken Stalin's many hats and divvied them out among themselves. And so, as long as the the hats are equally distributed among the the Politburo, that things would be fine. Um, but the problem is that, that that they were afraid that he was secretly gathering too much power, which is exactly what Barry is doing. Um, okay. So after Stalin's death, uh, Beria begins uh, launching uh, a number of reforms. <clears throat> um, a- according to the biographer Taubman, uh, quote unquote, unparalleled in his cynicism, uh, he did not let ideology stand in his way. Had he prevailed, he would almost certainly have exterminated his colleagues if only to prevent them from liquidating him. In the meantime, however, his burst of reforms rivaled Khrushchev's and in some ways even Gorbachev's uh, 35 years later. Really? Uh, w- okay. One, uh, one proposal which was adopted, uh, was amnesty that was, uh, that eventually led to the freeing of over uh, a million non-political prisoners. Uh, another, which was not adopted was to release East Germany, um, and to form a united neutral Germany in exchange for uh, compensation from the West, um, which Khrushchev considered to be anti-communist. Uh, this plan would have effectively made, uh, Germany uh, into a state similar to Austria, just a neutral um, state in Europe. Should have done that. Uh, Khrushchev, uh, meanwhile, allies with uh, Malenkov uh, to block many of uh, Beria's proposals. Uh, while they, uh, while they, while the two of them slowly uh, picked up support from the other members of the Presidium, um, their uh, their campaign against Beria as well. Aided um, was aided by fears that Beria was planning a military coup, uh, and that according to Khrushchev in his memoirs, that Beria was quote unquote getting uh, uh, getting his knives ready for us. Uh, the key move by Khrushchev and Malenkov uh, was to war away two of Beria's most powerful deputy ministers, uh, Sergei uh, Krugov and, and Ivan Serov, uh, to betray uh, Beria. Um, this allowed uh, Khrushchev and Malenkov to arrest uh, Beria. Um, as uh, Beria uh, found out uh, too late uh, that he had uh, lost control of the Ministry of Interior's troops and the troops of the Kremlin Guard. Um, so in uh, Russia, they have what are called, um, and, and still to this day, they, they have them, they're, they're usually called like border, um, like like the border troops, mm-hmm. um, or the, uh, and they, they sort of, um, and, and they're sort of like an internal military. Um, and during this time period, they're controlled by the NKVD. Okay. Um, so they're so they're not under the control of the Red Army. Um, so by him losing them, he's he effectively just lost all of his military support. Damn, Oof, that's not good. Oops. Um, so on uh, June 26, 1953, uh, Barry is arrested at a Presidium meeting. 
um, and following a, um, a, a th- this is after uh, extensive military preparations by Khrushchev and his allies to ensure that he's able to be arrested and no no type of uh, coup coup d'état happens. Um, Barry is tried in secret and executed in December of 1953, along with five of his close associates. Um, Real, the, uh, wow, okay. Uh, this is like the last time that a high level uh, Soviet uh, power struggle uh, would lead to the loser uh, being um, executed. So this is really like the last time in the history of the Soviet Union you have this type of scenario play out in the fifties. Well, yeah, in the fifties, like where where the person who loses they they just get like a show trial and then shot. Yeah, but the guy that lost was not. The guy oh, yeah, that if lost, you're, if they you're, got executed. Like he, he basically had it coming to him in their eyes. Not saying that his ideas weren't okay, but like in their eyes, he had it coming to him. Not just because he was trying to take over the country, well, more it's, so well, because he was quote unquote anti communist. Well, well, no, he's he's as communist as the rest of them. It, it's just more that he 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 was a monster, and that, that's one reason why. Like, like he's the guy where like Stalin uh, told his daughter, like, you can't be alone with him. Wow. Um, (laughs) so he's, he's, he's pretty monstrous and they know that like he could, he could like, if he wanted to, since he has like dirt on everybody, since he's been running the NKVD, that, that if he was to take power, it would be pretty bad. Um, Beria did have some like reforms too, that, that seems that he legitimately wanted to do. Like for instance, he was going to, um, it's believed from his personal diaries that he would have abolished the Kolkhoz system and essentially decollectivized farming in the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. um, and, and things like that. But but we don't know because he was just, you know, he, he lost out and got killed. Right. Um, and, and I think, too, that, that the only reason why he was killed in that way was because of how dangerous he was. Um, because as we'll see later on, especially with, like, Khrushchev, um, like, they, they don't kill Khrushchev. And, like, with even with, like, Gorbachev, uh, they don't kill, like, Gorbachev. Yeah, he's like old at that point. Yeah. Um. So the power struggle still continues. Uh, Malenkov, who has most of his power in the uh, the central uh, state apparatus, um, he thought to um, extend his power uh, through reorganizing the government, uh, giving him additional power at the party's expense. Um, he also um, sought support from the public by lowering retail prices and lowering the level of bond sales to citizens, um, which had um, long been um, sort of obligatory that you had to, like, buy bonds for, like, the war effort buy and the rebuilding of the Soviet states. Buy my bonds. <laughs> buy my bonds. You will buy bonds. They're good bonds. <laughs> they support they, Mother Russia. When they mature, it does not matter. Um, Khrushchev, though, uh, he's, he, uh, with his power base being within the party itself, um, he sought to strengthen the party uh, to also strengthen his position within it. Um, so, uh, under the system, the Soviet system, the party is, is the preeminent, um, force within the government. Um, a lot of its power had been drained by Stalin, who had given a lot of its power to himself and the Politburo, which later becomes the Presidium. Mm-hmm. Um, Khrushchev... Um, saw that uh, with the uh, Presidium being in conflict, the party and the Central Committee uh, could become powerful again. 
Um, so Khrushchev uh, carefully cultivates uh, high party officials and was able to support, uh, able to appoint supporters of his uh, to local party boss positions uh, who then were able to take seats on the Central Committee. Did he do okay. this just with like political power or was he out there just, you know, uh, capping motherfuckers? Well, no, he has he has the power to like appoint people to an office. He like he's a he's like a party boss. Like there's there's no like there's no rules in the Soviet Union against you just like giving your friend a position. When you say boss, is he more of a big pussy or is he more like a Christopher Moltisanti? <laughs> Neither of whom were bosses. <laughs> big pussy was a capo, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. That would make him a boss, He's right? Not a boss. That's a captain. That makes him a boss of some people. He's, he's got people running up he underneath. Was certainly him. boss. He's more of a he's more of a Corrado. He was a Corrado. Okay, yeah. <laughs> There's a man from space. I don't know. <laughs> That last episode where he's like mentally <laughs> like gone. He's a yeah. man from space. People keep asking me, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> what? <laughs> he has like uh, dementia or like Alzheimer's, yeah. you know? Yeah. But yes, Khrushchev is fully within his power to like fire people. Like he doesn't have to kill people. Like like appointments within the Soviet Union are not lifetime appointments. So he can just say like, yeah, you're no longer... Like comptroller, my buddy's comptroller now. Get the fuck out of here. For like doing a really good job and just piece you out. That's brutal. Um, so uh, Khrushchev, um, he sort of presents himself as being a uh, down to earth activist, um, who uh, who's willing to take up any challenge. Um, and it, this is uh, in contrast to Malenkov, um, who is um, who sort of like while he's very sophisticated, um, he just comes off as being very like bland and boring. Um, uh, Khrushchev arranged for the, uh, the Kremlin grounds to be open to the public, um, which was, uh, something that was, um, th- that was very popular with the public, you know, being able to tour the Kremlin. Uh-huh. Um, and while both he and, uh, Malenkov, uh, uh, sought to reform agriculture in the Soviet Union, uh, Khrushchev's proposals were broader and including, and included what was called the Virgin Land Campaign. Um, so, uh, <laughs> under this, under this plan, uh, hundreds of... So hundreds of thousands of young uh, volunteers would settle in farm areas of western Siberia and northern Kazakhstan. And would make those lands non-virgin. <laughs> yes, for, for, for a number of reasons. They would... Uh, I'm going to fuck they, this they, land right here. <laughs> let's, let's just say... Let's just say these lands were a lot like Buck Nasty's mom, bombed out and depleted. <laughs> wow. Um... <laughs> as 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 sort of um hinted at um this becomes a tremendous disaster for soviet agriculture uh despite it being initially successful it's working um, it's not working it's not working at we'll, all we'll we'll get into that more when we talk about the reforms um but it mainly has to do with them not following any sort of like agricultural knowledge they not, should not have to, listened to our boy yeah, troy tro- film and yeah. they would have been fine um, and the and the person who actually like gives up the advice is is an American, which we'll talk about, which which is actually kind of funny. Um, was it a plot, like maybe a CIA plot? No, no, because the guy told them the good thing to do, and they didn't do it. See, he essentially oh, told them he okay. he told them because because he was a he was a corn farmer, and he sold them yeah. he sold them the corn, and he told them like, oh, we're going to want to farm it here. You're not going to be able to farm it up in the north. 
and you're going to want to do these things, which which I'll talk about. Um, you better. It, it, so uh, Khrushchev also had incriminating information about uh, Malenkov, which he uh, he had taken from various secret files. Um, so while uh, Soviet prosecutors are investigating uh, many of the uh, the atrocities carried out by Stalin in his last years of reign, um, including um, including uh, what was referred to as the Leningrad case, uh, they came across evidence of, of Malenkov's involvement. Uh-oh. Um, so beginning in uh, February of 1954, uh, Khrushchev replaces Malenkov in the seat of honor at the Presidium meetings, um, and in June, Malenkov ceases to hold the, the list of, uh, ceased to head the list of Presidium members, uh, which was thereafter organized in alphabetical order. Um, Khrushchev's Uh-oh. influence He's again... get a case of acute lead poisoning soon here as well, I believe. Uh, Khrushchev's uh, influence would continue to increase, uh, winning him the allegiance of many local party heads, um, and also with his uh, nominee becoming the head of the KGB. Um, at a Central Committee meeting in January 1955, uh, Malenkov is accused of involvement in atrocities, and the committee passed a resolution accusing him of involvement in the Leningrad case and of facilitating Barry's crime to power. Oh, this dude's going to get clapped. Um, at the meeting, uh, which was um, which was done in the mostly uh, ceremonial uh, uh, Supreme Soviet in the following month, uh, Malenkov is devo- um, is demoted in favor of Bulganin, um, uh, which was which surprised many uh, Western observers. Uh, Malenkov remained in the Presidium as Minister of Electric Power Stations, um, according to Khrushchev's biographer William Thompson. Uh, Khrushchev's position at first uh, among the members of the collective leadership was now beyond any reasonable doubt. So he didn't kill him? No, he, he doesn't kill him. Because like I said, Beria was the last person to get killed. Um, so the the this sort of battle for political control also reshapes uh, foreign policy, which we'll talk about in the next episode um, in, in more detail. Uh, but uh, this led to uh, there being more realism and less ideological abstraction uh, when dealing with European and Middle Eastern um, political situations. Uh, meaning that they were playing more um, to, to helping people who weren't necessarily communists, but were um, but were people that could benefit the Soviet Union, such as many of the Arab powers. Like Afghanistan? <laughs> well, yes, but Afghanistan was neutral. Um, in, uh, in Khrushchev's secret speech, um, he attacked Stalin in 1956, and this was um, a, a sort of a signal that he was abandoning uh, Stalinist uh, precepts and was looking for uh, new options, including uh, becoming involved in the Middle East. Okay. Um, uh, also, uh, when uh, Khrushchev being in power as well um, did not moderate his personality, um, and which meant that he was often unpredictable um, and was often um, emboldened when uh, uh, after the Soviet Union had its successful uh, space launches, being the first in space and having the first satellite. Right. Um, so uh, he believed that this would lead to the, uh, the USSR gaining like prestige around the world. It would lead to um, further like communist advances in the third world that because they were doing so well on this front, that it would lead to more and more um, sort of developing nations becoming communists. Oh, like trickle down theory that doesn't work. Um, his uh, his policy also uh, was uh, restrained by the need to uh, retain the support of the Presidium and to placate um, the uh, 
the the Soviet people um, who were still um, inarticulate and restive. Um, and, uh, and while they were thrilled by uh, Sputnik, uh, they also demanded a higher standard of living um, on Earth as well. Sputnik's great and all, but I'm still shitting in a hole in the ground. Can I please have indoor plumbing? <laughs> Sputnik's great, but I'm in these Khrushchev flop houses, and I really don't like it here. <laughs> Sputnik is great, but I need no hammer to kill rats. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, after the demotion of Malenkov, uh, Khrushchev and Molotov uh, initially worked together. Uh-oh. Okay. Um, uh, Molotov even proposed that Khrushchev, uh, not uh, Bolganin, should replace Molenkov as uh, premier, um, but, uh, uh, but Khrushchev and uh, Molenkov would, uh, would become increasingly at odds on uh, policy. Um, Molotov, for instance, opposed the Virgin Lands policy, um, instead proposing that they heavily invest to increase yields in their developed agricultural areas, uh, which Khrushchev felt was not feasible due to a lack of resources and a lack of sophisticated farm labor. They also differed on foreign policy as well, um, because soon after Khrushchev took power, um, he would seek a peace treaty with Austria, which would allow Soviet troops and an occupation of part of the country to leave. Um, because at that time, uh, Austria is still under the Soviet sphere of occupation. Right. Uh, Molotov was resistant, um, but Khrushchev arranged for an Austrian delegation to come to Moscow and negotiate the treaty. Um, although he and the other Presidium members attacked Molotov at a Central Committee meeting in mid-1955, accusing him of conducting foreign policy, which turned the world against the Soviet Union, Molotov would still remain in his position. Wait a minute, so what did Molotov do that was foreign policy looking bad for the USSR? Uh, he was the one just who made the, just, just just opposing the the Virgin Lands. Well, his well, that's domestic policy. M- remember, he's he's like his name's on the Molotov Ribbentrop Pact, right? The the pact where the the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany divided Europe between themselves. Okay. So uh, essentially, it was it was a bad look. It, it just sort of the Soviet diplomacy in the thirties as well, um, the invasion of Finland. Um, all that type of stuff, it made them look bad. So they were sort of bringing that up. I think mainly the, the focus was on the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, that they that they had an alliance with Nazi Germany. Gotcha, okay. By the end of 1955, though, uh, thousands of political prisoners had returned home um, and told of their experience in the gulags. The gulag. Um, a continuing investigation into abuses uh, brought home like the full uh, full range and breaths of uh, Stalin's crimes uh, to many of his uh, to his successors in the uh, in the Presidium, uh, working together with his uh, close ally uh, Anastas uh, Mikulian, uh Khrushchev believed that uh, once that uh, Stalinism uh, had been sort of removed uh, from the Soviet Union, um, the party would be able to inspire loyalty among the people. Okay. Uh, so, beginning in October 1955. Um, he fought to tell delegates uh, to the upcoming uh, tr- uh, 200th or 20th Party Congress about Stalin's crimes. Um, some of his colleagues, including uh, Molotov and, and Malenkov, uh, opposed these disclosures and managed to persuade him to make his remarks in a closed session. So at the 20th Party Congress, which opened on February 14th, 1956, um, in his opening words in his initial address, uh, Khrushchev uh, denigrated Stalin by asking delegates to rise in honor of the communist leaders who had died since the last Congress, 
whom he named equating Stalin with uh, Clement uh, uh, Gopfold and the little known uh, Kiyoichi uh, Tokuda, uh, Tokuda, who was like the head of like the Japanese Communist Party. Did you say Greg Gutfeld? No. Clement Gutfeld. <laughs> Gutfeld. Gutwald. <laughs> well, you know I didn't mention Gutfeld because you're laughing. Exactly. <laughs> Fair enough, That's man. how you know. And Khrushchev could definitely take Tyrus in a match. <laughs> Um, in the morning of uh, in the morning hours of February 25th, uh, Khrushchev delivered what became known as the secret speech to a closed session of the Congress limited only to Soviet delegates. Not so secret. I guess we we know all about it now. Give we, me the, we, yeah, me the so, TLDR. Give me the TLDR on this speech. I'll, I'll, I'll get to um, sort of like how everybody found out about it and how it's not really secret. So in four hours, um, it, Khrushchev just demolishes Stalin's reputation in the speech. Um, he noted in his memoirs that the uh, that the Congress listened to him in silence. Um, yeah, he's the head of the Soviet Union. They're going to listen to him in silence. He says, as the saying goes, you could have heard a pin drop. It was all so sudden and unexpected. Like people aren't even people aren't even like laughing or people aren't even clapping like like normally like during these like speeches and stuff where there's sort of like canned areas for applause and stuff like that. Everybody is completely silent because for the last like. 30 years they've been terrified of like Stalin and they've been sort of like programmed to not do anything with Stalin and for four hours Khrushchev is just standing up there in front of them and just laying into Stalin. Just shitting all over this dude. Um, um, so Khrushchev told the delegates it is here that Stalin showed in a whole series of cases his intolerance, his brutality and his abuse of power. He often chose the path of repression and physical annihilation, not only against actual enemies, but also against individuals who had not committed any crimes against the party or the Soviet government. Just just doing it on GP at that point. Yeah, so he, he essentially attacks Stalin, and he, he does state that some of the people that Stalin, that did get punished under Stalin, did deserve to be punished. But he essentially makes out that Stalin's like greatest sin was the fact that he attacked uh, party members, <clears throat> and um, and that the party should have been like like loyal party members should have been left alone, or where they should have just been like demoted or or punished in other ways and not you know shot. Right. A cleaved head no longer plots. What? The Viking uh, thing. A cleaved head no longer plots. I mean. Yeah, true, I guess. It's absolutely true, but... It doesn't do a lot of things, though. A cleaved head doesn't do much of anything. Well, no, that's the whole fucking point of the goddamn saying, Ryan. (laughs) What the fuck are you arguing with me about? Like, I'm just saying that he fucking killed everybody because it was just easier for him to do it. That's my opinion on Stalin. Every time I hear, like, somebody talk about Stalin, it's just like, the dude, he did it because it was easier. Yeah, he just kind of waved his hands. He's not a fucking him. smart person. The um, so the secret speech does not fundamentally change uh, Soviet uh, society. Um, it, it does have wide ranging effects. Uh, for instance, the speech does inspire um, uh, unrest in Poland and later uh, Hungary in 1956. Yeah. Um, and uh, Stalin and defenders of Stalin as well uh, uh, conducted four days of rioting in Georgia in June calling for Khrushchev to resign and Molotov to take over. Um, In meetings where the secret speech was read, 
uh, communists would make even more severe condemnations of Stalin or uh, Khrushchev and even call for multi-party elections. Um, However, uh, Stalin was not publicly denounced, um, and his portrait would remain uh, widespread throughout the uh, Soviet Union, um, from uh, public uh, venues such as airports, all the way to uh, Khrushchev's uh, office in the Kremlin. Uh, uh, Gorbachev, who was then uh, an official within the uh, Komsomol, uh, which is like a a youth organization, uh, recalled that though the young and well-educated Soviets in his district were excited by the speech, uh, many others decried it, either defending Stalin or seeing little point in digging up the past. I just, uh, I kind of sit here and I'm like, how can these people, knowing what Stalin did, all the crimes that he committed, how can people not publicly denounce him? How can they still, like, kind well, of hold it's up his th- portrait? And then I say, oh, I live in the United States in 2023 and maybe I should just shut the fuck up because people are still doing that to this day. Um... So, 40 years after this, uh, after uh, when the Soviet Union falls, uh, uh, Gorbachev would even applaud Khrushchev for his courage in taking that political risk and call him a, uh, a moral man after all. Um, and as mentioned, too, the secret speech uh, term is a misnomer uh, because, uh, because while the attendees of the speech were all uh, Soviet uh, delegates, Eastern European delegates were allowed to hear it the following night read slowly to allow them to take notes. Um, By uh, March 5th, uh, copies were uh, being mailed throughout the Soviet Union, marked not for the press, rather than top secret. Um, An official translation appeared within a month in Poland, um, and within Poland they printed 12,000 extra copies, one of which would come into the hands of Western intelligence sources. You know, Russia today was so steaming mad when they said when they read that not for not for the press. <laughs> They're sitting there just stomping on their hat. No, <laughs> uh, Khrushchev's son Sergei would later write. Clearly, father tried to ensure it would reach as many ears as possible. It was soon read at Komsomol meetings. That meant yeah, another eighteen million listeners. If you include their relatives, friends, and acquaintances, you could say that the entire country became familiar with the speech. Spring had barely begun when the speech began circulating around the world. Um, The uh, anti-Khrushchev minority within the Presidium uh, was also augmented by those opposed to uh, Khrushchev's proposals to decentralize authority over industry, um, which would uh, topple uh, Malenkov's power base. Hmm. Um, During the first half of 1957, Malenkov, Molotov, and and Kaganovich uh, worked to quietly build support to dismiss Khrushchev. Um, at a presidium meeting on June 18th, um, two Khrushchev supporters were absent, and then the plotters moved uh, moved that Bulganin, who had joined the scheme, take the chair and proposed other moves which would effectively demote Khrushchev and put themselves in control. Um, Khrushchev objected on these grounds that not all presidia members had been notified, um, which was an objection that would been uh, which would have been quickly dismissed had Khrushchev not held firm control over the military through the Minister of Defense, Marshal Zhukov. Um, and the Security Department's uh, lengthy uh, presidium meetings uh, took place continuing over several days. Um, as uh, word leaked of the power struggle, members of the Central Committee, which Khrushchev controlled, uh, streamed to Moscow, many flown there aboard military planes and demanded to be admitted to the meeting. While they were not admitted, 
There were uh, soon enough uh, Central Committee members in Moscow to call an emergency party congress, which effectively forced the leadership to allow a session of the Central Committee. At the meeting, the three uh, main conspirators were dubbed to be the quote-unquote anti-party group and denounced with accusations of factionalism and complicity in Stalin's crimes. Um, The three were expelled from the Central Committee and the Presidium, as was the uh, former foreign minister and Khrushchev client uh, Dmitry uh, Shipilov, who joined them in the plot. Uh, Molotov was sent as an ambassador to Mongolia. The others were sent to head industrial facilities and institutes far from Moscow. That's your punishment. Instead of getting one to the dome, you get sent to Mongolia to be an ambassador. Yeah, you got to live in Ulaanbaatar. <laughs> <laughs> Ulaanbaatar in the 50s. I don't think that that's a... <laughs> yeah. Not as rocking as it is today. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon ain't delivering their homeboy. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Um, Jugov was rewarded uh, for support with full membership in the Presidium, uh, but uh, Khrushchev feared his growing popularity and power. Okay, you're in. Uh, (laughs) Don't fuck around. In October of 1957, uh, uh, he was sent on a a tour of the Balkans as Khrushchev arranged a Presidium meeting to dismiss him. (laughs) Uh, Real quick, out of there. Okay, you're out. (laughs) Yo, get rid of this guy. He fucked up. You're out now. Uh, uh, Jugov learned what was happening and uh, and hurried back to Moscow, only to be formally notified of his dismissal. At the Central Committee meeting several weeks later, uh, not a word was said in his defense. Uh, Khrushchev completed the consolidation of power in March of 1958, arranging for Bulganin's dismissal as premier in favor of himself. Um, uh, Bulganin was uh, appointed uh, to be the head of Gosbank. Um, and by establishing a, um, a Soviet Defense Council uh, led by himself, he effectively uh, made himself commander-in-chief of the Soviet Armed Forces. Damn, man. Um, oh. okay. though, um, though Khrushchev had become uh, the most powerful person in the government, he still was not at the same level as like absolute power that Stalin was. Um, yeah, couple, af- and also Stalin was a monster, and I don't think Khrushchev is a monster. Yeah, but I but I mean he just doesn't have like as much control over the state as Stalin did. Despite because like to like to have that kind of control requires you to be a monster a little bit to have that kind of control that Stalin had. Like you have to have that little bit of I can make people fear me, not not even necessarily respect me. I can make them fear me to have that kind of power. Like you can't be a nice guy to have that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Kind of like a CEO. You're never going to have a really nice guy heading up Microsoft. I mean, it's Bill Gates, obviously, but like a company of that size, you're always going to have some sort of a sociopathic asshole who just does not care about human beings. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. He's no he's no Hank Scorpio. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, that's like the same argument I make about the U.S. president. Like, everybody's always like, oh, that guy's terrible, and my guy's better, even if he's terrible. And I'm like, they're all terrible. They're all garbage. They're just voting for the the least dangerous sinner basically you're okay so the presidential elections are like choosing either the right shoe or the left shoe to kick you in the ass yeah but you're gonna get kicked in the ass just what shoe do you want it from yeah which one's gonna hurt less yeah um so as stalin or, or as uh khrushchev uh comes to power um he begins to allow um uh, more freedom in the arts yeah so now um, for punk instance, punk rock is back, baby. 
As he, um, for instance, he allows the novel by uh, Vladimir uh, Dudanetsev, um, not by Brett alone, uh, a novel about an idealistic engineer who's uh, opposed by rigid uh, bureaucrats. He allowed it to be published in 1956, um, though uh, uh, though Khrushchev referred to the novel as being false at its base. Mm-hmm. In 1958, uh, Khrushchev, though, would order a fierce attack on Boris uh, Pasternak um, uh, after his uh, novel, uh, Dr. Zhivago, was published abroad. Um, he was denied permission to publish it in the Soviet Union, so he had it clandestinely uh, sent to the West and published there. Really? Um, uh, Pravda described the novel as quote-unquote low-grade reactionary hack work, um, and he was expelled from the Writers' Union. Um, Isn't Pravda like a bullshit magazine, though? Yeah, we went our Now, yeah. yeah, now, but back then it was like the preeminent newspaper of the Soviet Union. Um, just because it was a preeminent newspaper, though, like was it still trash back then? Well, no, it was like a, well, it was it was You're obviously propaganda, trash. but it was but it was like it was sort of like a legitimate newspaper, but a propaganda one. So it was essentially like the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> okay, all right, perfect. Um, so uh, he uh, Pasternak though would be awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature, um, but under heavy pressure from the Soviet state, he declines to accept it. Uh, once he did this, though. Uh, Khrushchev ordered a halt to um, to any further attacks on him, and um, in his memoirs, uh, Khrushchev stated that um, that he was very agonized over the novel um, and very uh, nearly allowed it to be published, and later regretted not doing so. Um, so after Khrushchev falls from power, uh, he obtains a copy of the novel and read it. Um, he had only read excerpts from it, um, and he stated he got the copy of the novel from Reddit. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. Yeah, Reddit user uh, Dr. Jabago R slash free books. U slash crushy baby. U slash dickman defender 69. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, that's probably a Reddit. An yeah, that's. Reddit user, that, so let's not dox anybody. Yeah, no. He tried to get that account, but it was already in use. Yeah. Womp womp. Uh, he said of the novel. We shouldn't have banned it. It should have. Uh, I should have read it myself. There's nothing anti-Soviet in it. Once again, people who ban the books never actually read them. Um, Khrushchev uh, as well believed that the Soviet Union could match the West living standards, and he was not afraid to allow uh, Soviet citizens to see the West's achievements. Um, Stalin, uh, during his time, had permitted few tourists to the Soviet Union and had uh, and had allowed as well few Soviets to travel abroad. Um, Khrushchev, though, let Soviets travel, um, which allowed over 2 million uh, Soviet citizens to travel abroad between 1957 and 1961, 700,000 of of whom would visit countries in the West. And he allowed foreigners to visit the Soviet Union, uh, where uh, tourists became subjects of immense curiosity. Um, 700,000 Soviets went to the U.S. and 32 came back. <laughs> like, yo, fuck that place. I'm staying over well, here. They got also, McDonald's over here, bro. Fuck you. It, it also included other places in Europe. Oh, okay. Still, um, 32 people went back to Russia. <laughs> They're like, listen. Were they, like, refugees if they didn't come back? Like, how'd that work? Well, they could they could defect, but usually you can't defect unless you have something. Because remember, too, like... When we talked about Lee Harvey Oswald, like, Lee Harvey Oswald tried to defect, and they're just like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, like, you're, get out of here, dude. Yeah. They only, they I only let that kind stay. of smoke. 
they only let him stay because he tried to kill himself. They're just like, he was recuperating in the hospital. It's like, just just let this dumbass stay here. He's, he's going to leave eventually. As soon as he's healthy, get him the fuck out of here. Air Russia, next flight, bye. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, Khrushchev uh, believed, uh, so as he's um, doing this, he believes that th- there's no harm in this because, you know, the Soviet Union is going to quickly uh, uh, reach the same level as the West or is possibly ahead of them in some ways. Um, uh, for instance, in 1957, uh, Khrushchev authorized the Sixth World Festival of Youth and Students to be held in Moscow that summer. Um, and he uh, he wanted to use this as a big PR campaign and instructed uh, Komsomol officials to, quote-unquote, smother foreign guests in our embrace. Um, this caused a, a sort of, uh, quote-unquote, socialist carnival-like atmosphere that involved over 3 million uh, Muscovites um, who joined along with 30,000 young foreign visitors in events that ranged from discussion groups throughout the city to events at the Kremlin itself. And pick up basketball with Dennis Rodman. <laughs> Yep. A, now, which young, good? A, a young Dennis Rodman. Father, father. <laughs> I've been I've been I've been hit by elbow of worm. <laughs> <laughs> what his name? He says worm. <laughs> <laughs> um according to a story in uh Vladislav uh, Zubok, the festival uh quote unquote shattered propagandist uh, cliches um about many uh, Westerners allowing uh, the people of Moscow to see to see foreigners for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I, what really destroyed communism was the um, when they allowed them to view the McDonald's Big Breakfast. <laughs> you know? Because it's just so much food in, contained in one styrofoam container, you know? Yeah, bro, we gave them hash browns, and just instantly communism fell. Yeah. They... They they heard about free refills and they were at first they didn't believe it but then when they found out they were freaked out because you know when you get a big breakfast if you're really into like syrup like I am what you do is you just you fill that container with syrup and then you close it and you just shake it around and you just get syrup on everything you know and they well, thought you know that the, was you know just a little bit ridiculous but they didn't even that is the fattest yet the most genius thing i've ever heard. i mean you're gonna put syrup on everything right like you don't you don't want syrup on your eggs but it gets on there and you're kind yeah. of okay with it right so you might as well yeah. just syrup we, we know this, this yeah. you know this led to us not knowing a lot about these people you know because the second they got it they all just died of diabetes within like yeah months. yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's in the. You don't even have to say "died of diabetes." You just say "diabetes" because it's. Yeah, it's in the word that's, already. That's my favorite class of meme recently. Is like showing a picture of something like a like a Taco Bell like steak quesadilla and just like the little caption being like, "This would have vaporized a Victorian child." <laughs> this is, there's enough salt in here to supply the village for a it's year. Like, it's like Killers of the Flower Moon. I like all the. All, all the Native Americans have like diabetes because of because of like just eating like the diet of um, Americans at that point. <laughs> well, so then because they're, they're, they're all those... like because they're all like really rich and they're just like they can have pretty much whatever they want. Well, they start thinking about those TikTok videos where like just the most disgusting fat food that you can find, like taking cheeseburgers Dude, or like listen. triple deckers and smothering them with like melted cheese. Devour like, power on Instagram. Put that in front of a fucking Russian from like 1957. <laughs> go, go look at Devour Power on Instagram. They are just, it is just the worst food I've ever seen. Ugh. You could literally take any sandwich they have, feed a family of four. 
and then probably still have leftovers, you know? Like, it's just gross. Eating challenges are kind of, like, the thing that I find disgusting. Mukbang? Like, yeah. yeah. I, no, I, I mean, not even mukbang, <laughs> but, like, you just go to restaurants, and it's like, hey, eat this eat this burrito that's roughly the size of a newborn baby, and do it in under an hour, and you get your photo on the wall on a t-shirt. When I heard mukbang gross. at first, I didn't know it was Korean. I thought it was just, like, people fucking in the dirt, you know? <laughs> like a mukbang. <laughs> But the first fucking goddamn image that comes up for mukbang is just so gross as to make me never want to eat again. We'll turn your safe search on then. Control V in chat. Done. <laughs> I hate you. Oh, <laughs> God. I, I that looks in. like one of those shitty porn cover-ups. Like, there's a dick behind those <laughs> yeah. noodles, but yeah, you covered it up so Facebook wouldn't porn. catch it. Yeah, this safe for work porn. Yeah, that was awesome back in the day. Hell yeah. Today's generation doesn't even know about the safe for work porn. <laughs> oh man the the bubble the the bubble pictures. No, not the bubble pictures. Those were yeah. I know. I know the safe for work porn, but I'm just adding the, oh, the yeah. bubble oh, yeah, pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was for people um, who were real hard up. The bubble pictures. That was that was uh, apparently that was a Mormon project. Yeah, it was an or- yeah, it was a Mormon thing. Because, Get like, the they would fuck actually be out clothed. of here. Yeah, they'd be clothed in the part of the bubbles, like so you like it would be cut out, so you think they're completely naked, but like just a little bit that you couldn't see, they would actually right, have clothes. I'm on. done. This episode's over. In <laughs> in, in 1962, um, after being impressed by uh, by uh, Alexander's the World Series. Sol- being <laughs> impressed by Alexander uh, Solzhenitsyn's One Day in the Life of Ivan uh, Denisovich or Denisovich. Good, um, good book. He uh, he persuaded the Presidium to allow its publication. Um, a lot of uh, though uh, eventually there were limits to uh, what he would allow, um, and this would happen as well on December first, nineteen sixty-two. By the way, I was just um, like really Kim Jong Iling the Mets because I think they won in sixty-nine because sixty-two <laughs> their record was forty and one twenty. <laughs> I don't think they won the series That's a, that year. What are they? What are they? The Pirates? <laughs> I was the first year in the league. You know, it's, it's like an expansion. You know, it's one of those yeah. things. Um, so uh, on December first, nineteen sixty-two, he goes to the uh, Manege uh, Gallery uh, to view an exhibit which included um, several avant-garde works. Upon seeing these avant-garde works, um, Khrushchev uh, became very angry um, in an episode. Um, known as the uh, uh, the Menage Affair, um, it, where he described Menage the artwork. Uh, yeah, because it's the uh, Menage or um, the or uh, I believe it's Menage Gallery. Okay. Um, so it became the Menage Affair, where he um, redescribed the artwork as being "quote unquote" dog shit and proclaimed that "quote unquote" a donkey could smear better art with its tail. God damn, bro! Uh, a week later. Uh, Pravda issued a call for quote-unquote artistic purity um, and when uh, writers and filmmakers defended the painters uh, Khrushchev would begin attacking them. Um, however uh, despite uh, Khrushchev's uh, anger and, and rage at these uh, these artists, um, none of them were arrested or exiled. Um, the uh, gallery exhibit also remained open for some time after Khrushchev's visit um, and uh, and it also experienced a considerable rise in attendance after the article appeared in Pravda. If he was around today, he would think that the MCU was like the pinnacle of filmmaking. Like, this guy clearly does no fucking taste whatsoever. 
at all. He was born from steel. <laughs> <laughs> like, I get you're born in the 1800s, but, like, that doesn't mean that you are completely devoid of the ability to judge art on just how it makes you feel and, like, the artist's intent. That's just him being like, oh, oh, this artwork looks like dog shit. It, bro, that's just you Well, that's the problem with having uh, government officials telling you what you can and can't look at. You know, it's a it's an opinion. It's not a uh, exactly. It's not an objective fact. Yeah. The uh, St- Stalin when because Stalin used to review the uh, the censorship like things, like like when they censored art and stuff like that. They mm-hmm. would send him the art, and he would um, he would write notes on the art where he just shit talk the art and the artist. <laughs> where he would like, I think I, I think there were some of them because there were some that were that were slightly like homoerotic. And I think he did call the artists like like gay boys or something like that. Oh my god! <laughs> um, like a fucking fifth grader playing Call of Duty. <laughs> oh, you're gay, bro. <laughs> you're so gay, bro. <laughs> Look at these homos. <laughs> oh my god. Um, so under under Khrushchev, the uh, the special tribunals that have been operated by the security agencies within the Soviet Union were abolished. Um. These tribunals, which were known as troikas, oh no, <laughs> um, had often ignored laws and procedures. Um, so, under the reforms, uh, no prosecution for a political crime could be brought, um, even in the regular court, unless it was approved by the party committee. Um, this rarely happened, though. There were no major political trials under Khrushchev, and at most, several hundred political uh, prosecutions overall. Um, instead, other sanctions were imposed on Soviet dissidents, including uh, the loss of uh, the loss of their jobs um, or expulsion uh, or um, or expulsion from the party. Um, during Khrushchev's rule as well, um, they began a practice that would continue until the end of the Soviet Union, which was the forced hospitalization of "quote unquote" socially dangerous people. Um, according to an author, Roy uh, Medvedev, um, who wrote an analysis of Khrushchev's years in power. Quote-unquote, political terror as an everyday method of government was replaced under Khrushchev by administrative means of repression. Um, so essentially what would happen is that if you, like, disagreed with, like, the Soviet Union, you were, like, a very vocal, um, vocal, like, opponent of it, um, to the point where, like, people told you to, like, shut up and you didn't shut up, um, you could possibly be committed because they would say, like, you're obviously crazy because you don't believe in the achievements of the Soviet Union. <laughs> wow. What achievements? So, you put Sputnik up in, or you put a, a fucking empty soda can up in orbit called Sputnik, and uh, you were you raced to Berlin, and you were the first to Berlin after World War II, only because the United States GIs were fucking off having sex with French women. Like, what real like inventions or good did the Soviets bring to the world at this period of time? Well, you know they are they are aiding to like the liberation of a lot of like Africa and. South America, they're um, they've they've improved the quality of life of the Soviet people greatly. They're leading in, in sort of like scientific technology related to rocketry and things like that during this period. I don't need um, your rational answers, okay? <laughs> I don't need your rational but, answers. But, that make but this sense. is what's well, what's not much different today too, where like people are like, oh, these these liberals are all mentally ill. They're all they're all blue haired like people who have like. Who have like mental disorders? That's essentially what they're saying. Why are they all like, out oh. here protesting? Don't they have jobs? January sixth yeah. happens. 
Why are they was, all out here protesting? <laughs> says the guy. Says the guy screaming about. Don't these people have jobs? You know, the only reason fucking... January sixth that never happened is because all those people there were just liberal plants. Because all us workers have things to do. Like shut the fuck up. But no, but that was it. also that was also a component of like the of like the Soviet system of repression is that if young people were wearing like Western fashion, you know, like trying to look like greasers or. Um, or becoming like hippies that that they were often often depicted and and said to be like mentally ill. What? Huh. That that they obviously suffered from some sort of like antisocial disorder and that they were, you know, like which which in the United States too, like they they said like greasers were like dangerous and like deranged individuals, like like bikers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, but but they kind of did the same thing in the Soviet Union, saying like, oh, these people are emulating like Western fashion and. And like youth culture, like they're obviously mentally ill. <laughs> Wild. Okay. Um, in 1958, uh, Khrushchev opened a central committee meeting to hundreds of Soviet officials, um, and some were even allowed to address the meeting, which is not something that normally happened. So for the first time, the proceedings of the committee were made public in book form, and that was a practice that was continued in subsequent meetings. Um, this um, this openness. Uh, despite what some might think actually allowed Khrushchev greater control over the committee since the senators would have to make their case in front of large, uh, disapproving crowds. In yeah, 19- like, all right, so yeah, if you want to talk shit, you got to talk shit in front of everybody. Let's hear it. Yeah. You're a big man. Let's see how big a man you are in front of the, instead of the assembly. Let's see yeah, if you can do a debate. You. <laughs> like Will Ferrell in, uh, what was that? Old school? Oh, yeah. God, don't, uh, don't, That's how you fucking debate. <laughs> Um, in 1962, he divided um, OBOS-level party committees into two parallel structures, one for industry and one for agriculture. Um, this was unpopular for um, for uh, people within the party and led to confusions in the chain of command as either committee secretary had precedence over the other. Um, as there were limited numbers of central committee seats for uh, from each OBOS, uh, the division set up uh, the possible rivalry uh, for office between factions, and according to Medvedev, uh, had the potential for beginning a two-party system. Uh, Khrushchev also ordered that one-third of the membership of each committee, from low-level councils to central com- uh, to the central committee itself, be replaced at each election. Uh, this decreed, uh, decree created tension between Khrushchev and the central committee and upset the party leaders um, uh, that had supported Khrushchev and his rise to power. Um, uh, so Khrushchev, he's a... He's generally an expert on agricultural policies, and he sensed that there was an urgent need to reform the inefficient system and ideas that were used by the um, by the Soviet Union by looking to what was being done in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so he looked especially at the um, at collectivism in the Soviet Union, mainly state farms, um, and uh, decided that one way was the liquidation of machine tractor stations. Um, and machine tractor stations were essentially that for like in the Kolkhoz in the area, there would be like a central depot where you would get your tractors and other things from. Um, but this caused issues because, you know, you had to go to the uh, the machine tractor station in order to get the machinery. It wasn't just at the farm. Um, and obviously, you know, that there might not be enough for everybody. Um, so it would cause some farms not to get equipment and it would cause all kinds of issues. Interesting. Um, he also planned further decentralization, um, giving economic incentives to farms 
um, increasing uh, labor and capital investment, um, looking uh, adding in new crops to the uh, Soviet agricultural system, and also looking at new production programs. Um, one reason he mainly looked at the United States was because in the 1930s, Henry Ford had been the center of the uh, transfer of industrial technology to the Soviet Union. Um, Henry Ford had sent over factory designs, engineers, and skilled craftsmen, as well as tens of thousands of Ford tractors to the Soviet Union. Um, by the 1940s, uh, Khrushchev was very yeah, interested Henry Ford, in... He found he heard all about how he was getting rid of all the Jewish doctors over there, and he was like, yeah, I'm gonna, i got to get them some things. <laughs> Um, by the 1940s, uh, Khrushchev was uh, interested in American uh, agriculture, um, especially the large-scale family-operated farms in the Midwest. Um, in the 1950s, he sent several delegations to visit farms um, and land-grant colleges, looking at successful farms that utilized high-yielding seed varieties, uh, very large and powerful tractors, and other machines, all guided by modern management techniques. Um, after visiting the United States in 1959, he was keenly aware of the need to emulate and even match American superiority in agricultural technology. Okay. Um, he His one big focus that he became really interested in was uh, the growth of corn. Um, he established the Cor uh, Corn Institute in Ukraine and ordered thousands of hectares to be planted with corn in the virgin lands. Um, in 1955, Khrushchev advocated an Iowa-style Corn Belt in the Soviet Union, and a Soviet delegation visited the U.S. state that summer. Um, the delegation chief was approached by a farmer and corn seed salesman named Roswell Garst, who persuaded him to visit Garst's large farm. Um, the Iowan would, in, uh, would then go on to visit the Soviet Union, where he would become friends with Khrushchev and, and sold, uh, sold the Soviet Union uh, 45,000 metric tons of, of seed corn. 45,000 tons? Or 4,500 tons, sorry. But it's still a lot of tons. Yeah, it's still a fuckload of corn. That's some tonnage. Uh, uh, Garst, though, warned the Soviets to grow the corn in the southern part of the country and to ensure there were sufficient stocks of fertilizer, insecticides, and herbicides. Um, however, uh, this was not done as Khrushchev sought to plant corn uh, even in Siberia without any of these uh, materials. Yeah, that'll work. Uh, Siberia. Corn. Yep. So, so the corn was not a great success, and he later complained that the overenthusiastic officials wanting to please him had overplanted without laying the proper groundwork, and quote-unquote, as a result, corn was discredited as a silage crop, and so was I. Womp womp. As I mentioned, uh, Khrushchev sought to abolish the machine tractor stations, uh, which... Uh, which owned most of the large agricultural machines such as combines and tractors and also provided the services such as plowing and, um, and the transfer um, and, and sought to transfer the, the equipment and functions um, to the coal causes and solve causes. Um, after successful tests involving uh, MTS, uh, the machine tractor stations, uh, which served one large coal cause each, uh, Khrushchev ordered a gradual transition uh, but then ordered that the change take place with great speed. Within three months, over half of the facilities have been closed, and coal causes were being required to buy the equipment with no discount given for older or dilapidated machines. Uh, machine, 
Machine Tractor Station employees unwilling to bind themselves to cold causes and lose their state employee benefits and the right to change um, and the right to change their jobs fled to the cities, creating a shortage of skilled operators. Wait, they're allowed to change their jobs as they want. I thought that was like one of the key things. Like you're assigned a job in those. Well, well, no, they were they were state they were state employees. So what are the benefits they had that they would lose if they were transferred to the farm? Okay. The cost of the machinery. Plus the cost of building storage sheds for the machinery and fuel tanks uh, for the equipment um, caused many of the coal causes to become impoverished. Um, inadequate provisions were made for repair stations, um, and without the the old stations, the market for Soviet uh, Soviet agricultural equipment fell apart, as the coal causes now did not have the money nor skilled buyers to purchase the new equipment. Okay. Um, as mentioned in the 1940s, Stalin put uh, Trofim Lysenko in charge of agricultural research, um, and um, it, which his ideas again uh, to reiterate went against you know modern um, agricultural and modern uh, genetic science. Mm-hmm. Um, Lysenko would maintain his influence under Khrushchev and help block the adoption of American techniques. Fucking up. Um, but in 1959, Khrushchev announced a goal of overtaking the United States in uh, the production of milk, meat, and butter. Um, and uh, local officials, uh, in order to keep Khrushchev happy, because um, uh, he was giving them unrealistic um, sort of targets for production, um, these farmers, in turn, would slaughter their breeding herds, and they would also purchase meat from state stores and reselling it back to the government, artificially increasing their recorded production. Mm-hmm. Sounds like uh, something that you get disappeared for. In um, in June of 1962, uh, food prices were raised, uh, particularly on meat and butter, by 25 to 30 percent. This caused widespread public discontent. In the southern Russian city of uh, Novocherkovsk, um, uh, this uh, discontent would lead to a uh, a strike and a revolt against the authorities in the city. Uh, the revolt was put down by the military. Uh, resulting in a massacre that killed 22 people and wounded 87, according to Soviet officials. Oh, so basically that killed probably 636 and wounded uh, 112 <laughs> in well, we, actual well, we, counts. Well, we know we know the number is accurate um, that, that's provided here because it was actually like a covered-up event. And, and this is sort of things that came out like after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Oh, okay. In, in addition to this, 116 demonstrators were convicted of involvement um, and seven of them were executed. Uh, um, even though this, um, even though this uh, information was suppressed in the Soviet Union, uh, word of this did spread out to the West and damaged Khrushchev's reputation. Um, drought would also strike the Soviet Union in 1963, um, with the harvest of uh, 97,500,000 uh, tons of grain uh, was down from a peak of 122,200,000 tons of grain in 1958. Uh, the shortages resulted in bread wines, um, and, uh, and this was uh, something that was first kept from Khrushchev. Um, as they were reluctant to purchase food from the West, um, but, faced with, uh, but faced with a widespread hunger as an alternative, um, Khrushchev would exhaust the nation's uh, currency reserves um, and expended part of its gold stockpile uh, to purchase grain and other uh, other food items from abroad. So this is all back falling on the shoulders 
of Troy Fim Lysenko because he was the one that's like, nah, that's American shit. Don't listen to what the Americans are telling you to do. Definitely try to grow corn in the ice tundra of Siberia. It is definitely a great idea. Well, there, there, there was also a drought. So, so that was that was that was not something they had caused. That was also like conditions were bad, and because they had they had mismanaged things, it just exasperated things worse. Oh Jesus Christ! And, and also because remember they're they're not importing from abroad, right. so that's also hurting their their the, the allotments of food and stuff like that. Jesus, okay. Um, as well, when uh, Khrushchev visited the United States in 1959, he was impressed by the uh, by the agricultural uh, agricultural education program at Iowa State University and sought to imitate it in the Soviet Union. At that time, the main agricultural college in the Soviet Union was in Moscow, and the students did not do manual uh, manual labor um, uh, uh, in like ma- the manual labor of actually farming. Mm-hmm. Um, Khrushchev proposed uh, to move the programs to rural areas. Um, he was unsuccessful uh, due to resistance from professors and students who never actually disagreed with the premier, but who did not uh, carry out his proposals. Um. Khrushchev recalled in his memoir, it's nice to live in Moscow and work at uh, Tamir Yazov um, Agricultural Academy. It's a venerable old institution, a large economic unit with skilled instructors, but it's in the city. Its students aren't yearning to work on the collective farms because to do that, they'd have to go out in the provinces and live in the sticks. Who wants to do uh, that? Uh, Khrushchev would also found uh, several academic towns, such as uh, Akadem uh, Gorodok, um, because he believed that uh, Western science had flourished Academic because scientists li- duck? What? Akadem <laughs> <laughs> Gorodok. Mm-hmm. Um, and because uh, he believed that Western scientists had, uh, and Western science had flourished because science lives, uh, scientists lived in university towns such as like Oxford and were isolated from big city distractions and had pleasant living conditions and good pay. Um, he would uh, he sought to duplicate those conditions in the Soviet Union, um, and this uh, um, and this attempt was generally successful. Uh, though his new towns and scientific centers tended to attract younger scientists, with older ones unwilling to leave Moscow or Leningrad. Old crotchety assholes. Like what's in Moscow? Do you want to live in what? What do they call those? The houses that Khrushchev created. Uh, what, what, Krush, what are those? Khrushchev's. Khrushchev's. Or Khrushchev's. What's in Moscow? Khrushchev's? Come on, dog. Or, or Khrushchev Dachas, as they're, they're called. Go uh, go move out to the equivalent of Biloxi, Mississippi. Move, move out to Biloxi, Russia, and uh, you'll be like, you know, you know, king shit of Turd Mountain out there. <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to live in Tallahassee? <laughs> you could run that town in six months. Um, Khrushchev also proposed to restructure Soviet high schools. Um, so while high schools oh. uh, provided, uh, while they provided uh, college preparatory uh, uh, curriculums, um, few few youths actually went to university in the Soviet Union at that time. And um, it shows. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so Khrushchev wanted to shift the focus of secondary schools um, to vocational training. Um, so students would spend their time at factory uh, factory jobs or in apprenticeships, and only a small part at the schools. 
Um, in practice, the schools developed links with nearby enterprises, and students went to work for only one or two days a week. Um, the organizations disliked having to teach, while students and their families complained that they had little choice in what trade to learn. Uh, while these uh, vocational proposals did not survive Khrushchev's um, downfall, uh, a longer-lasting change was related to the establishment of high schools for gifted students or those wishing to study a specific subject. Oh, God, they got magnet programs in Russia. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>, IB. <laughs> no! <laughs> so these these schools were modeled after uh, foreign language schools that had been established in Moscow and Leningrad beginning in 1949. In 1962, a special summer school was established in uh, Novosibirsk um, uh, to prepare students for, uh, uh, Siberian, uh, for the Siberian Math and Science Olympiad. Uh, be a special the, school. They're probably getting tortured at normal schools. <laughs> um, the following year, that school became uh, the the Nova Brisk uh, Maths and Science Boarding School became the first permanent residential school specializing in math and science. Um, other schools similar to it were established in Moscow, Leningrad, and Kiev. And by early 1970s, over a hundred specialized schools have been established in mathematics, the sciences, art, music, and sport. Um, preschool education was increased as part of his reforms, and by the time he left office, about 22% of Soviet children attended preschool, about half of urban children, but only about 12% of rural children. Uh, Khrushchev would also begin an anti-religious um, anti uh, campaign um, that began in 1959 and coincided with the 21st Party Congress that same year. Um, it was carried out with the mass closure of churches, reducing the number from 22,000 in 1959 to 13,008 in 1960 and 7,873 by 1965. I'm not against this practice right here. I'm, I'm listening. You, you kind of have my attention It now. depends. What, what was he doing? He was just, they were just shut down. So no, nobody, was getting, nobody was getting killed or anything? No, they were, they were just, because remember, he's not. He's not Stalin. He doesn't want to be Stalin. He he made his he made his fame by decrying Stalin. So they they just shut him down. Okay, I'm okay with that. Um, during during this time period as well, most priests usually work for uh, the government. Um, so they're, they're all government employees, anyways. That's just weird. Um, and um, they, he would also uh, close down uh, monasteries, uh, convents, and still existing seminary schools. Uh, it also included a restriction on parental rights to teach religion to children um, and uh, a ban on the presence of children at church services, beginning with uh, the Baptists in 1961. It was then extended to the Orthodox Church in 1963 and a ban on the administration of the Eucharist to children over the age of uh, over the age of four. Wait, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> Say that one more time. You can't have no uh, Eucharist, bro. A ban on giving the Eucharist to children over the age of four. So if you're three, you can get slaughtered on the the Christ wine. But what? like once you hit four, that's it. No more. I, I don't I don't know what the rule is in in the Orthodox, but um, usually um, you're, you're not often given wine. And and two, um, usually with children, they just give them fruit juice. Yeah, we, I, I know in oh, Catholicism, you don't, yeah, you don't they should yeah. get wine. Yeah. You just get <laughs> Wait, the what? unleavened shit wafer. And and like what? and like the and like yeah, the you Lutheran. don't normally get wine in Catholicism. What are you talking? Well, maybe that's new. That's maybe that's some new shit. But they gave us wine when I was in Catholic school. Nah, we didn't get like, that shit. 
big parochial school. Yeah, we actually up, got it's, wine, wine. It's up to the priest. I did eight but, years. Um, we didn't get any wine. Well, we oh, drank well, the church the wine when we were altar boys. We we definitely tried the church wine in the sacristy because why the fuck not? If it's up to the priest, that makes sense because I went to Catholic school in Boston and the, the priests were all trying to fuck everybody apparently. So, Whew. real wine. There it is. Yeah, you're in you're in spotlight territory. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, in in Lutheranism, they would um they they would give you uh they would give you um just juice. Yeah, He's some Welches. That's unfortunate. Um, uh, until you're old enough for wine. Um, so uh, Khrushchev would also ban all services held outside of church walls. Uh, renewing the enforcement of a 1929 legislation uh, that banned uh, pilgrimage, uh, pilgrimages and recorded the personal identities of all adults requesting church baptisms, weddings, and funerals. He also disallowed the ringing of church bells and services in daytime in some rural settings from May to the end of October under the pretext of people being required to work in the field. Stop with the fucking bells. <laughs> Turn these fucking things off. I'm tired of hearing them. Um, non-fulfillment of these regulations by clergy would lead to disallowance of state registration, uh, meaning that the, uh, that the clergy could no longer do any of their, uh, pastoral or liturgical work without special permission from the state. According to Dmitry, uh, Pospilowski, uh, the state carried out forced retirements, arrest, and prison sentences for clergymen on trumped up charges. Um, but in reality, um, in reality, he writes, um, that said state actions were taken against Korji, who resisted the closure of churches, delivered sermons attacking the, the Soviet Union state atheism, an anti-religious campaign, uh, conducted Christian charity, or made religion popular by personal example. Um, so while they were making these, uh, making these sort of like arrests, um, uh, this author uh, posits that this was mainly done against people who were like firebrands against the state. We're also, you know, trying to uh, trying to become like a, a big figure within, like, uh, through the religious movement. You know, not not like probably exactly becoming like a mega church preacher, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, why else would they arrest him? All these pastors or clergymen or whatever the fuck, if they're state employees, like, why would they arrest them? Other than if they're resisting the churches being closed. So yeah, like I said, you know, they're they're mall because, like I said, it, it, that they have the. Um, that they sort of have a license from the state to, to practice their religion. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of the same uh, today in China where um, they're, they're sort of like state allowed churches. And it's not like they're like up there talking about like how great China is. It's just that they're not allowed to like talk about how bad China is. Right. Cause like there was, um, cause it's one of the only countries in the world where there's a, a Catholic church that doesn't answer to, um, to Rome and that they, they try to scheme where they would allow um, they would allow a bishop to be ordained both by um, the Chinese um, sort of Catholic structure and the Vatican, yeah. and and like the second the guy got in there, he like instantly blew it because he just started like railing against the state. <laughs> it was it was almost like the Catholic version of just like grabbing the mic and just yelling "Baba Booey." <laughs> oh my god, that's awesome! <laughs> um, so that. Uh, covers a lot of the domestic policies of Khrushchev. Um, in the final episode, we'll cover um, his foreign policy. Holy shit, dude. Uh, There's another episode about this fucking guy? 
three yeah, I'm already fucking his, bored. Fucking goddamn it. Oh, send him to Gulag. He's bored. He's talking anti-communist rhetoric <laughs> over here. Send him to Gulag. Let's get bored, to his death I showed already. you boredom. I'll show you boredom, motherfucker. <laughs> I actually didn't know anything about Khrushchev before this episode, so... Nothing. Like, all I knew was just some rotund douchebag that sparred with Kennedy. That was all I knew. We'll, we'll talk about that and him and Nixon next episode. Um, him almost ending the world. Um, stuff like that. Jesus Christ. Him almost ending... Okay, now I'm excited. All right, and with that, later. Later. Later.